Welcome to the KICC Malawi podcast. We pray that you'll be encouraged with the message today. But it's always good to come into the house of the Lord. I pray that you're expecting something from the Lord. It's been a great week of praying. God has been ministering to us. Every time we come in the afternoon to pray, uh, there's always something that God is working in our lives. And one of the things that keeps on coming up is that, you know, everything about our lives is about glorifying God. If your life is not about glorifying God, then you'll be miserable. You'll be miserable. So that's the best place to be. Today, I want to talk about this issue of anger. Let us deal with anger. That's the topic today. Let us deal with anger. I've asked myself why people seem so angry in our society these days. We continue to see demonstrations of this problem on our roads as we drive or ride. I see a lot of rage. I see people who are angry and it even comes out in the way they drive. They're very aggressive, very concerned with only what they will get out of it. They don't want to give way or they... They, they, it's just selfishness. They, they, one little car parks in the space of two, you know, and when you ask, it's anger. I remember one time I was, I took my wife to work, drove my wife to work, and um, she got out, and for some reason, I just didn't want to leave. I think there was something I was listening to on the radio, and a guy came and parked where there's not, there, he was not supposed to park there. And the security guard went to him and said, excuse me, sir, this, you're not supposed to park here because, you know, there are these, it's this place, this space is made uh, provision for somebody and so on. And the guy just lashed out at the security guard. A very, he looked dignified. But he lashed out at this security guard and said, you tell me where to park. Where's parking space here? And, so on. and in all fairness, there was a lot more parking space everywhere else. But the way he just lashed out at this security guard, and the security guard just said, I'm sorry, you're the one who knows what is best. And he walked away. I felt sorry for the guy. He was just doing his job. He had even told them, there's a space over there, over there, but this space is anger. There's so much of it. I saw a video of a, a children's soccer referee. They interviewed several children, uh, soccer referees, and they said, what is the toughest part about your job? They said, the toughest part is dealing with irate parents who think they know the game better than me. And they will lash out, they will shout out all sorts of obscenities. On it. And this is children's soccer. They're not even getting paid for it. It's just children's soccer. And, and many times when you go to news, news sites, or uh, social media handles, a story is reported and you keep seeing this anger. You keep seeing this anger. It's all over the place. You get the picture. Then there's the anger that we have to deal with in our personal lives. Tempers that change the mood of our homes and our relationships. You know those ones. Such that people have to to, to tiptoe around your emotions, your sensitivities. They can't speak to you direct because you have this temper, you have got this, this anger. 
and it ruins a lot of things. Homes where kids go to their bedroom because dad is home. Can't, they can't handle your anger. Oh, mom is so stressed and the way she's speaking is just so cutting and the kids are saying, what, what, what is going on? But you know, anger is there. It's very prevalent these days. Then there is anger at God. There are people who are angry with God. I remember one time sharing the gospel with, with a fellow student um, while we were in college and I shared the gospel and she says, I understand what you're saying. But if God is a loving God, why is my brother like this? He had mental health issues. And she spoke, I never knew this person had these things, this experience. But the way she spoke, you could actually see that this person is angry with God. And that was keeping her from accepting Christ in her life. A couple of days ago, same person. And this is like after 30, 31 years now. Same person is talking about how, how Jesus is this and Jesus is that. Somehow that got resolved and she got to know the Lord Jesus Christ and she's following him right now. But this is just to say people have got anger with God. Maybe because they, they lost a job or a loved one died or things are not working well. People get anger with God. And that leads to us losing hope. And just last week, we learned that our hope is in God. So if, you, if you're angry with God, it's very easy for you to lose your hope in God. And then what becomes of your life when you can't hope in God anymore? I think it was uh, Barack Obama who said, if we don't have hope, we don't have anything. It's, it's that. So if you don't have hope in God, you, you've, got a, you've, you've lost a lot. So why is this anger and how do we deal with it? Because I think many times we mistake, um, we, we don't have a very good, a holistic view of what anger is. So I want to speak to that this morning and, and just to encourage us to say, let us deal with anger. Many of the things that we see in people's lives today, most of the times have got their roots in anger because something happened. There's always a story. No matter how somebody uh, behaves or reacts to something, there is always a story. Always there's a story. We need to hear that story first. It may not be the right thing to have been done. It may not have been the right thing to, to, for someone to go through or it was a painful thing, but we need to hear that story. Maybe that's why the Lord says we should be quick to listen and slow to speak because you need to hear the story first. So the dictionary states that anger is a strong feeling of displeasure and usually of antagonism. You're not happy with something. That's why when people are angry, they'll say, you can't do that to me. And you have follow-up statements like, do you know who I am? And then finally, you will see. Because you, you have this strong feeling of displeasure. You're not happy with it. One of your values or several have been attacked. And you are basically making them know that you're not going to take this sitting down. They're going to have a run for their money. 
Because who are you to do this to me? There's antagonism. There's displeasure. So we get angry. I can tell you, everybody gets angry. Believers in Christ get angry. They do. But usually it's because you have a displeasure with something and usually it touches on a raw nerve. Some value has been, has been attacked or, or, or some pain point has been stepped on. And when somebody has a pain point, you don't have to know the pain point, but when it's been stepped on, it's been stepped on and they lash out at you in anger. It's, it's, it's just that. Examples abound. So we know that people get angry. We all get angry. I'm one of those who used to have issues with the way people drive and my anger would come out. But, but thank God, the Lord, he, he dealt with that. He dealt with that. I'm one of those people who's always angry at the breakup of families. It really makes me angry. It does. But there's a story. And I've had to learn to deal with that anger and channel it in a proper way. We shouldn't run away from the fact that even as believers, we do get angry. One time I went to pick up my kids from school and one bully was bullying my son. I, I really got angry. Because you just don't touch them. <laughs> they are the apple of my eye. They are, they are precious to me. You don't violate them. And, and, and I had a discussion with the, with the teacher, asked how it was handled. I wasn't pleased with that. And uh, I, I told them, I said, if, if this is not going to be handled well, I would want to speak to the, the parents of the bully myself. So that put them into action and the issue was resolved. Amen. I wish I could say that all the time I would handle it that nicely. But who else gets angry? It's very interesting from what scripture began, be, began to reveal, all the things that began to come out. Let's begin with God. Did you know that God gets angry? Even up to now? Did you know that? Psalm 7 verse 11. The book of Psalm chapter 7 verse 11. I want you to turn into the Bibles and, and let's begin to see these things together. I want us to get into the habit that when a Bible reference is mentioned, let's go there. Let's see it together. Something happens when we do that. The Bible says that God is a righteous judge. Yeah. A God who expresses his wrath every day. Wrath is, is now a different degree of angry. There's wrath, there's anger, there's fury, there's rage. It's different degrees of the same emotion being expressed. But the Bible is telling us that God really does get angry. And I thought, oh, this is the Old Testament. You know how the prophets used to pray and say, Lord, be slow to anger. You know, we know you're angry, but Lord, please just be slow about it. Because I think as human beings, we are not uh, used to expressing anger or responding to anger in a well thought out way. So probably they thought this is how God is. 
But the, with time, they would realize, ah, uh-uh, God is slow to anger. When God is finally angry with you that his wrath is going to come, you, you have really reached those limits. So Romans chapter 1, verse 18, tells us the following. The book of Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. It's the wrath of God. The anger of God is there. It's being revealed. Jesus got angry. Most of you probably have this uh, picture of Jesus walking into the temple and finding uh, money changers and there's all sorts of commerce happening in the church which was not relevant to the worship at all. And Jesus gets angry and he literally whips them out of the room. He drives them out of the room and he says, my father's house is to be a house of prayer but you have made it a den of lions, of thieves. But in Mark chapter 3 verse 5, the Bible tells us that Jesus, he had, there was a man with a shriveled hand and he had come to Jesus and it was on the Sabbath and and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all his, his enemies, they were looking to see what Jesus was going to do next. And we pick it up in verse 5, he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. Because Jesus could see in their hearts what was going on and it displeased him. Because here is a fellow Jew who has got a shriveled hand and Jesus can do something about it, but the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they are worried about something else. Is it rightful to do this on the Sabbath? Really? In some other discourses, Jesus would ask him and say, if your donkey fell into a pit on a Sabbath, wouldn't you go and get it out? What more with this person? But we see Jesus Christ expressing his anger. And interestingly, Satan gets angry. I was like, yeah, that explains a lot, doesn't it? Revelation chapter 12 And we're not looking at the famous verse 10 and 11. We're looking at verse 12. The Bible says, Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and all who dwell in them, because the the devil has gone down to you. Sorry. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and all who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. So the scenario is that Satan used to be God's angel. And then he rebelled and he was kicked out of heaven. And Satan is really, really, really miffed that you and I know God. That you and I are co-heirs with Christ. That we are going to go back where he used to be. And at this point in history, this is in the Great Tribulation, at this point in history we see that Satan comes down. He's going to come down with fury, with wrath because he knows his time is short. And when you read the book at the end of it, I would like you to know that we win. At the end of this book, we win. No matter what happens in our lives, we win because Jesus wins. And in that winning, Satan is going to be bound up for a thousand years 
and after that he would be released. He would go out to deceive even more people. And at the end of that, he would be cast into the lake of fire. So Satan knows what's coming for him. And he's not happy. He's not happy that you and I know God. He is angry. That's why we keep saying, Satan does not have good plans for you. He doesn't love you. He doesn't like you. His thinking is, if I'm going to go down, I'll take as many as I can with me. That's his thinking. And I also want you to know that when you read the book of Revelation, the full wrath of God's anger is outlined there in the book of Revelation. And it is anger that is coming about because God's values are being trampled upon. So let's go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 to 24. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 to 24. The Bible says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, that if anyone who is angry with his brother, if anyone who is angry with his brother, he will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, you will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Amen. So let's talk about this. In verse 21, what commandment was Jesus addressing? There's a commandment that he, he, he bases this whole discussion on. And that commandment is the one that, is, that says, do not murder. Okay, And he, he continues to explain to us that when you violated this commandment, the, the, the punishment, I mean the, the consequence of that, the penalty for that was judgment. When you murder, you face judgment. But then the interpretation that Jesus gives to this commandment in verse 22 is very interesting. He says, I tell you, that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. It's the same penalty as if you had murdered, murdered somebody. And it, what is interesting to me is that Jesus equates murder and anger. When you're angry with somebody, he equates the, the thing. It's the same. And I thought, oh, that's a little bit taking it too far, don't you think? But he explains it more. He says, when you are angry, you shall be subject to judgment. Raka, the term raka, or raka, I don't know, I don't speak Hebrew, but it is spelled that way. Um, it is the equivalent of calling somebody empty-headed. That's what's being communicated here, raka. It's a term of content. You, you are really despising somebody. And he says, when you do that, you'll be answerable to the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the day. And there will be penalties exacted to that. 
But when you, you are expressing this emotion of anger, and you say, you fool. You're talking to somebody and there's this contempt, there's this almost intention to, to, to annihilate that person. Yeah, you'll be subject to hellfire. That's Jesus' interpretation. So why, why did Jesus focus on the emotions behind the violent actions? You know, people who are really, really, really angry can do unimaginable things. I have read about, when I was, when I was researching this, I, I read about a, a young man who was ditched by his girlfriend and, and he, he knew where she goes, when she goes, and so on. One day he just planned this whole thing out and in anger he, he, he threw acid in her face and deformed her. So many cases like that. Because his thinking was, if I can't have you, then nobody should have you. So I'll deform your beauty. Nobody should come to you. And he did that because he was angry. He was rejected. He had big issues with rejection. People who are angry can go to great lengths you wouldn't believe. There was another case where this man, he came home from work. Apparently his wife hadn't cooked and uh, he was hungry and he wondered why and they began to fight and he went into a fit of rage and in that fit of rage, he killed her. <laughs> uh, no, I will not describe it. But he killed his wife and the other things he did with his wife's body after killing her, you would say, anger? Really? So, anger brings about actions that would later regret many times, most of the times. But then, how does this connect with the fact that also God gets angry? How does he handle anger? We need to learn from that. Amen? And that, that, that led me to look at um, the book of Mark, chapter 7, verse 20. It says, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. From within, out of men's hearts, out of there, come murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. So murder is there, obviously anger is in there, and we, we, we begin to see Jesus talking about the source of the anger. Where the anger comes from seems to be the issue that we need to look into. In the book of Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23, a verse which each and everybody should really, really commit to heart, it will serve you a lot. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23. The Bible says, Above all else, these are, these are instructions that the young man has been given by, by his parents. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Other versions say that because out of your heart are issues of life. Issues of life come from the heart. Sometimes you hear people say, 
I am sorry, I got angry. I didn't mean to. But scripture is telling us that what is in here, in the heart, comes out. What you plant in here is what comes out. So, anger is a heart issue. What it is we plant in the heart comes out sooner or later. So we need to be very, very careful to guard our hearts. In the book of Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 to all the way to 8, it tells us about what we need to do when things get hard. I'll read Philippians chapter 4 from this, from this 4. The Bible says, now let's start from this 4. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Why guard the heart? Why guard the mind? Because the things you put in your mind get settled in your heart, and that's what you'll be taking out. It's just the way it works. So then, after he tells them that, he says, finally, brothers, this is how you guard your heart. This is how you guard your mind. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So let's guard our hearts. It's not everything that you need to watch. It's not everything you need to discuss. Because some things will pollute your mind. They will pollute your heart. Amen? Some things we just need to say, I've heard enough, this is it. I'm not, I'm not going to go back to it again. Some things you don't need to read. One of the challenges I have every morning driving to town is when they, they, they are selling newspapers. Okay? So I'm passing by this guy and he goes like this. He shows me the headline. You've seen them. They'll show you the headline. I'm looking at that headline and it's just depressing 80% of the time. It's not a good way to start the day. At all. Some radio stations you tune in, it's Bad news after bad news after bad news. And pretty long, pretty soon you'll be thinking to yourself, is there any good happening in this world? I don't know about you, but these are the experiences I've had. So I've had to say to myself, let me take some measures to control what I read and when I read it. I know we need to be kept up to date uh, with happenings, but it's not all the time. It's not everything that you need to read. It's not everything that you need to keep abreast with. So, start your day with the word of God. Because at least we know the word of God is true. The word of God is noble. The word of God is lovely. It's excellent and all these things. You do that first thing in the morning. Then you armed yourself 
nicely for the rest of the day. A few things. The uniqueness of, of anger um, as humans. I just want to point out some things that scripture tells us are unique things when it comes to human anger. Number one, it is usually motivated by the sin of pride. Human anger is usually motivated by the sin of pride. James chapter 1 verse 20. The book of James chapter 1 verse 20. Are you turning there? James chapter 1 verse 20. The Bible says, For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Isn't that true? Many times when people are angry, the results are, are, are about sin. The results are not things we want to experience. There's a, there's a, a radio program that has been running for years. Most of the times when you hear about how people live and, and the things people do to each other or with each other, most of them are out of anger, especially when it comes to conflicts, altercations, personal you know, conflicts between people. It's, it, it is usually that somebody was angry, and because they were angry, they do this to another person. That's typically man's anger. These days, I've, heard, I've, I've met people who are angry because something happened between them and a friend, and that friend possibly innocently posted something on social media or that status. They post it and the person who was offended begins to interpret that and say, they're talking about me. And, and they go on their status and they, 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 they retort, they, they hit back and there are all these arrows flying all over and many times you, you say, okay, so why did you post this? He says, it's a totally different story. But what is happening is that you feel you're being violated. Your pride has been tarnished. Sometimes, it, it's funny these days that a lot of things are happening on, on WhatsApp. Eh? It's funny. This is what I did. Uh, why didn't you say happy birthday on your status? Why didn't you say happy birthday to me on your status? What? I'd rather just call you. I'd rather send you a VN. Why are you worried about what I post on my status? It's pride. You want to be seen. Hello? It's pride. Much of the human anger we experience is because of pride. And as we learned a few weeks ago, that God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the pride. So there are some things that will not happen in your life. God will not enact some things in your life because you are being proud. You are blocking God's grace in your life. Human anger is usually motivated by the sin of pride. But when you look at the anger that God has, you will not find any pride. You will not find any pride. Proverbs 19 Verse 22. You will find that anger brings about chaos. 
divisions. Because that verse, Proverbs 29, sorry, Proverbs 29, verse 22. And the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about anger. An angry man stirs up dissension, and a hot-tempered one commits many sins. That's just the nature of human anger. When somebody is angry, they will stir up dissension. I remember the story in the book of Acts where Paul and, and his, his missionary team, they are going from place to place in, in, uh, in Eastern Europe. They are preaching the gospel. And the Jews are not happy with them preaching the gospel from place to place. And at a particular time, I think it was in Athens, where they, they, they got to preach the gospel and people... Is it Athens or Ephesus? I forgot which. But as a result of their preaching, people left their magic as that they were involved in. They used to buy idols which they would worship and they were made out of iron. So the iron smiths were not happy. And because they could see their income going away, they were going to lose their income. They got angry with Paul and Silas and stirred up some rowdy individuals against them. There was a whole riot in the city and they ended up being arrested. Anger stirs up dissensions, divisions. Whenever you see there's a division happening where people are supposed to be united, just know anger is at work. Usually it is because somebody has got beef with somebody else in the other camp. So, human anger, final point under this subheading, Hebrews chapter 12. Let's go to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. I want to explain something that we usually miss out. We'll look at verse 15, but I'll start from verse 14. The Bible says, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see God. Without holiness, no one will see God. Verse 15. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Bitterness is a result of anger. Unresolved anger. And bitterness loves company. When somebody is angry and that anger is not resolved, it grows into bitterness. Where you feel you were wronged and anger comes out of it. Now the funny thing about bitterness is that it doesn't like to be alone. It wants to tell others. It wants to involve others. So you hear of stories of people who were beaten from many years ago. One time I was doing a transaction with a man who used to be very, very senior in some government some, some years back. And, and I was like, you, you are that guy who was with this organization? He said, yes, I was. I said, okay, so where are you? He said, no, I've retired. I retired. I, he said, I was forcefully retired. I said, oh, really? And within the short time I was with him, 
I heard how he was very bitter with some ex-head of state here in Malawi. He was very bitter about the things that they had done to him, how he had suffered. And even up to now, and it's years ago, okay? It's years ago. But even up to now, this man is bitter with what was done to him then. But when you look at even his forced re retirement, he was given all his dues. This man is not poor by Malawian standards. No, he is doing well. But that bitterness blinds him to where he is right now. It blinds him to all the blessing that God has given him. That's what bitterness does. And by the time I was done with him, I left and I was thinking, oh, wow. So that head of state was, uh, was this bad. You see what happens? It rubs up on me. And I begin to think that person was bad, although I really don't have all the details of the story. That's how bitterness work, works. The Bible is telling us here clearly, it will defile many. Because when I am bitter with somebody because of unresolved anger, I will want to tell as many people as possible. That's how it begins to defile others. To defile is to make dirty, to make irrelevant, to make something un un unusable. When I say to you there was a case of defilement, you have an idea what happened in our courts. A girl was defiled by a stepdad and things like that. Defilement is, is brutal. And that's what bitterness does. If I have an experience with a brother or a sister in this church and I am angry and I feel like I was wronged and I feel like, hey, this, this person just didn't do me good and so on and so forth. That thing is not reviled, um, is not discussed and brought to a good conclusion. I, in my anger, will nurture that. I will incubate it. That's, that's where bitterness comes from. It's from just anger. You begin to incubate it and you say, what they did to me? What they did to me. So-and-so did this to me, did this to me, did this to me. I will never forgive them. That's where it comes from. And you're moving around with unforgiveness, getting sick, because in James chapter 5, we are taught, we, we, we learn that sometimes the sicknesses we have is because of unforgiveness. You offer forgiveness and healing comes. And here's the interesting thing. The person you're bitter against, most of the times, they don't know it. So they are living in your mind rent-free, and you're suffering for it. You are paying the rent. Let it go. Let it go. Oh, pastor, you don't know what this person did. No, I don't. But what I do know is that the bitterness you are keeping in your heart is doing you more damage than probably what they did to you. Pastor, but if I told you about my husband, it's like the devil's cousin. But pastor, if I told you about my wife and the words that come out of her mouth and you're telling me to let go, well, let it go. Because without letting that go, there will be no healing. And, and the scripture says very clearly, we will not see God because your holiness will be tarnished. 
So while on that point about the nature of human anger, let us be very careful what we say to other people about our brothers and sisters, or other people even. Because we do affect each other. If I come to you and I say, hmm, you know what brother so-and-so did to me. They did this and this and this. I don't, I'll never forgive them. And actually, I don't see why they are involved in church in that ministry. I will defile this person's perception of the person I'm talking about. So all of a sudden, people that you were very close with, you were talking uh, very amicably with, all of a sudden you begin to realize they're pulling away and you're saying, what's going on here? Because there's been a defilement. Let it not be so of us. Amen? I'm not saying let's bury things under the hatchet. No, 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 no. If there are things we need to sort out among us, ourselves as brothers, let's do it. Because Jesus says, if you've got an offering and you want to present it to God at the altar, and you remember, and it's not even you who has got, who, who sinned or who did your friend wrong. It is them, but you remember it. Leave that present there, that gift there. Go to the person and make it right. After you're done, come back and then present your offering to God. Why? Because God sees the heart. He knows what is in the heart. And when you come with all these unresolved issues before the Lord, it will be said of you, these people, they, come, they, they worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. Now, if you're in a relationship where somebody's heart is not in there, it's painful. I've got a story I will not tell you. But it's painful to be in a relationship where you're giving it 101% plus and the other person is not there. Their heart is not there. And that's how God feels. Like, sort these things out. I, I want your heart. I want you all in. I want you untainted. I don't want to see any blemish in you. I, I want you to worship me with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. But if you've got unforgiveness, if you've got bitterness, if you've got unresolved anger, it blocks God's grace in your life. Let go of that pride. Let it go. And just say, Lord, this person, the things this person did to me and the way they damaged me, I choose to forgive them. And you might have to do that several times, eh? Because it keeps coming back. It keeps coming back. But the more you do it, the more you do it, you, you'll be amazed at the healing God is going to give in your heart. One time you'll be able to tell that story without feeling any pain. It's like when you, when you lose a loved one. If you ask somebody who has lost a loved one a week after, two weeks after, a month after, the, the, the wounds of grief are still fresh. And most of the times they will tell you that story with tears in their eyes. But you know, as time goes, the healing comes. They are able to talk about them without shedding a tear. So healing does come. Let it go. Tell God and say, God, I choose to lay down my pride. I will not avenge them. I will give this whole issue to you. 
here I am. I don't want to block your grace in my life because of anger. That is stemming from pride. And God says, aha, now we are talking. Now you see what I'm going to do in your life. Let that anger go. So this is the uniqueness of our anger as humans. There's, there's a lot that we would have talked about. But let's now come down to how we are going to deal with anger. Number one. Strive to live a life that honors God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 30 tells us that whatever you drink, whether you drink, whatever you drink, or eat, do it all for the glory of God. Our lives should be about glorifying God. Amen? I can't stand here and tell you that you need to let go of this and that and that and that. The Holy Spirit will make that clear to you the more you study the word, the more you bring yourself before the word, the word of God. And two weeks ago, I did talk about uh, the book of James chapter 1, that the word of God is a mirror. What you see in a mirror, you correct right there and then. You don't put it out for later. You don't put it off for later. You correct right there and then. If you saw it wasn't well and you were standing in front of the mirror um, and you walk away without doing anything about it, we'll wonder. Did you see this? Yes. Why didn't you correct it? Ah, it's okay. We'll wonder. But usually, when you're getting ready, and even when, when a brother or a sister comes and says, did you notice this? Let, let me remove this. It's right there and then. If they leave it for you and say, ah, they'll correct it later in the afternoon, they are not being loving to you. They are not. Amen? They are not. One sister pulled me aside one day and said, Pastor, when you wear this color of trousers and this color of shirt, make sure your belt is this color, your shoes are this color, and your jacket is this color. I was like, thank you very much. He says, yeah, I want my pastor to look good. Oh, I want him to look good. That's love. If I was proud, I would have said, what is that to you? You see what I'm saying? Pride. I say, what is that to you? After all, you're not the pastor here. But look, I'm the pastor. But when it comes to clothes, I need help. Because this, this matching, mix and matching thing, if you see me like this, there's been a lot of input from from my wife. My daughter also now is joined the bandwagon. Then there's this church member. I, I can't win. But I understand that it is coming from a good place. And I just swallow my pride and do what they say. Amen? So, let that pride go. Live your life before God to honor God. Number two, confess your anger before the Lord as he shows you. Okay? This is between you and God. The book of 1 John 1 verse 9. Uh, just take time and read that chapter. That chapter is only 10 verses. It's not, it's not big. Read it. Verse 9 says that if we confess our sin, our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What will he do? If we confess our sin, he will forgive us. And then if there's any unrighteousness, he will purify all that. So when God shows you 
pride issues that you need to deal with or any other sin, just do it. If he says you have anger against this person and it is not right, just, just confess it. Leave it at the foot of the cross and start afresh. Amen? Number three, after you have confessed, ask God to fill you with his spirit. Because you just don't want to confess anger, let it remove, and then you put nothing there. Proverbs 29 verse 11 says, A fool gives vent, full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. So we need to be careful. Anything that happens that touches you the wrong way, I'll let them know. I'm going to let them have it. You are a fool. That's what the Bible is saying. Because you, you give full vent to your anger. And when you give full vent to your anger, usually sin is not so far away. Usually, sin is not far away. But what do you need to do? You need to keep yourself under control. Now you and I know that self-control is not easy. Hallelujah. Self-control is not easy. But it is possible. If you let the spirit of God take over, the Bible says we are to be filled with the spirit of God. That's step one. Number two, we are also to be led by the spirit of God. So you're filled with the spirit of God and the next question you ask is, Lord, what next? So what the Lord tells you, you do. If he says, yes, this person is angry and so on, but you know, there are words that you speak can stir up anger. Then there are words that will pacify. Accept and say, yes, I've, I've done a wrong thing and I am sorry. It is my fault. Please forgive me. One time I was coming from the garage we got our car fixed, and I got to the junction, leaving the garage. I got to the junction, about to get into Pogagame Highway. And I checked this side, and, and you know how people speed in that highway. And I checked both sides, and I thought, ah, it's clear. As I was about to leave, this guy braked, he hooted, and so both of us met each other at a point where everybody has just broke, braked their car, and we just stopped. And he drives a little bit. He rolls down his window. And I knew this guy is about to give, me, give it all to me, right? So I rolled down my window. And I just did. I am really sorry. I didn't see you. Please forgive me. Okay. And he drove off. <laughs> it would have been bad. It would have been really bad. But that's a new me. I wasn't always like that. I have had to learn to trust God to say, Lord, what do I do? What do I do? This man is angry, but I'll take down my window. I will not run away from this. I'll take down my window. And I just said, I am really sorry. I didn't see you. Please forgive me. He didn't say anything back. He just drove off. But there's something about saying words that pacify. That is only going to come from the Spirit of God. I can't take credit for what happened that day or, or the way I did what I did. I can't. It was God. So self-control is the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. So ask, you ask God to fill you and you say, Lord, lead me. 
If the Lord says turn left, you don't go right. Otherwise, tragedy happens, calamity happens. It's like dancing. When, when you're done, I love to dance with my wife, even up to now. But when, when you're dancing, they tell you that as the man, you are the one who leads the dance. Okay? So when, people, when you see people waltzing and all that, it's the man who's leading. The lady just follows. So if you do certain things, they will turn. If they do certain things, they will go this way. You let them go, they will roll and come back. and so All that, the man leads. The woman's responsibility is to just follow. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. Turn this way. Stop here. Say this. And it becomes second nature the more you do it. Start somewhere. Okay? Start somewhere. Before you know it, the things you used to struggle with in the past are things that are, you, you, you just walk over like it's second nature. So you let love, the fourth one, let love lead in everything that you do. There's this, this phrase tucked away in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. <laughs> I only took notice of it as I was preparing for the message. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5, it says, Love is not easily angered. Amen, sister. I heard that and I understand where you are. But love is not easily angered. Then come those people who say, ah, you are a Christian. And they begin to poke you to see if you'll be angry or you, you're, going to re, you're going to hit back. But you see, when you lead with love, it makes so much of a difference. Even when things that would otherwise make you angry come along. Number five, let's talk about God's strategy. I found this tucked away in James chapter 1 verse 19. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. It is humility to accept the word of God. It takes humility for you to accept the word of God as a standard of your life. Because everybody thinks they know it best. But when you say, I'm submitting myself to the word of God, God will start doing things in your life, with your life. So, in this strategy, quick to listen means you should take time to understand the backstory because there is always a story. Okay? Be quick to listen. I've been following the developments between Russia and Ukraine. And there have been so many comments about President Putin this, President Putin that. Interestingly, both presidents are Vladimir. Zelensky of Ukraine is Vladimir. Putin of Russia is Vladimir. And, you know, I was wondering, you know, the, all the, 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 the diplomatic back and forth and so on and so forth. One says this, the other says that. And I started asking myself, what is the story between Russia and Ukraine? And you begin to read the history and so on. You begin to understand why this thing has come to where it is. If you don't understand the backstory, it's easy for you to just 
give full vent to your anger and look to be a fool. Understand the backstory. If you don't have the backstory, keep quiet. It helps. Amen? It helps. Understand the backstory. My wife was telling me the other day, a few days ago, says, you know, these days when we discuss issues in our marriage, you are more settled. You are more at peace. So what do you mean? She says, before, when something came up, you, you were always afraid to discuss this thing. I said, really? He said, yeah. So why is that? He says, well, the best she could put up, uh, put together was this. Because my parents' marriage struggled and there was separation and things like this. Every time, so I have that backstory at the back of my mind, okay? My parents' marriage was not a success. So here I am married. Every time I see even a little hint of something that looks like what it used to be, I begin to get scared. That's the backstory. Okay? And over time, God has been dealing with me to say, no, it's okay. There are these strategies. There are these things you can do. And so she says, right now I'm more at peace. I'm more settled. We may have our differences, but I will not respond the way I used to respond. Because there's a backstory. So being quick to listen means you take time to understand what's the backstory. Where is this coming from? When you understand that, God will help you to take time to formulate your response. God will help you. Quick to hear, slow to speak. Because when you hear, you begin to put two and two together and you say, okay, that is why this person is like this. And usually, God will show you how to respond. And it is words of comfort, words that build. So don't rush and say, I'll put on the status. Get the backstory. If you don't have it, keep quiet. Or maybe pray. That's the best you can do. And it says, personally, get rid of all moral filth. It is out of our hearts and anger, that anger comes. Let us pursue purity of heart before the Lord. Another thing I would want to say is, number six, do not let your anger brood. You know what to brood is? To, to, don't let it incubate. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27. Paul says, tells us that we should not let the sun go down on our anger. And, and I know some are saying, hey, but what if the argument starts in the evening? And your friend doesn't want to discuss it. Don't let your son go down on their anger. There are times I know that people have said, you know, this issue will continue tomorrow. Will continue tomorrow. You actually agree to continue tomorrow. But those verses tell us, um, verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. Okay? Now, the, the story is changing. In your anger, do not sin. 
There's something, there's a concept called righteous anger. Like God gets angry, you as a believer can get angry, but it's a righteous anger. So when people begin to talk about um, uh, the, the whole debate on abortion, for example, I, I get angry. Because when I look at scripture, when I look at scripture, it's in violation of what scripture says. Psalm 139, when you begin there and say, a person's life begins at conception. Going this way. And then there are some medical um, articles that have come across and even videos that show the growth of the baby in the womb. They're, they're a human being. So sometimes I get angry. But I've learned to where to channel that anger now. Because I found a, a, a fellow Christian activist who is, who's been battling this issue, even in parliament, and I've said, you tell me the things that I need to pray for. So I channel my anger via prayer. In your anger, do not sin. And do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Now let me explain a foothold. When you let your anger brood, it begins to develop into bitterness and forgiveness and everything. From there, it just goes downhill. Okay? Now, when Paul begins to write to us and say, when you let it brood, you give the devil a foothold. Now, this is what the dictionary said a foothold is. It's a place where a person's foot can be lodged for support. This is especially when people are climbing. When people are mountain climbing, they are always looking for a place where they'll put their foot and it will, it will lodge there and they will move on. Sometimes a foothold can mean, you know, when, when, when you knock, you've probably done this, you knock or you're about to enter into a place and the person inside does not want you to come in. So what do you do? You put your foot in there, right? That's a foothold. Because what you have done is that you're putting yourself in a position. It's, it's a base that will give you an advantage to advance. That's a foothold. So when we have unresolved anger, when we let it brood, what happens is that the devil says, ha, there's space, puts his foot there. So the door can't shut. That's all he needs. Unresolved anger does that. So don't, don't give the devil a foothold. So why did Jesus say you should stop worshipping until you have settled your unfinished business with a brother? Back to Matthew chapter 5 now. Why did Jesus say that? Well, simply because then it shows that you have got heart issues and it is just hypocritical for you to come before the Lord and pretend to love God whom you don't see but you hate your brother whom you see. He says, no, I'm not having this. Go and so He's not saying don't come back. He's not saying I will not have yours. He's just saying go and sort these issues and then come. Let's talk. Let's commune. Hallelujah. And I think that is great because God wants us to have pure hearts before him. So it's very necessary to make sure that we don't keep um, long accounts with our friends. 
or enemies for that matter. And then finally, watch your associations. Watch who you associate with. Everybody, let us turn to Proverbs 22. I'll tell you which verse to go first later. But let's turn to Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22. Are we there? Proverbs 22. I know this is a difficult message, message to say a lot of amens to. But it will be well. Don't worry. Proverbs 22, verse 24. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Just don't make friends with them. Do not associate with one easily angered. Do you know some people like that? Hot-tempered, easy. The Bible tells us, verse 25, or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. Listen, bad company corrupts good character. It's what the Bible says. Who you hang out with rubs off on you. If you spend a lot of time with somebody, it doesn't take long for you to begin to behave like the people you spend your time with. Did you know that? I've seen it in my life. We need to be very intentional about the kind of associations we keep, the kind of friendships we keep. My first ever boss was, uh, is, is Dutch. And uh, he... The Dutch are well known for being very forthright. They'll tell you what they think without... And you think this person doesn't like me, but they'll just tell you the way it is. And you think, oh, this guy has... You meet him 10 minutes later, so ah, we should have coffee. And you're thinking, but you just said this to me. and you know, They are that kind of people. They are very forthright. It's like the Germans. They're very forthright. They just tell it to you. And uh, praying with this brother of mine, who was my boss, he... He, he had a very interesting way of prayer. It's, it's like God is sitting there, the way he would speak to God and so on. You know, after two years of working with him, people began to tell me, you, 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 you actually pray like this brother. You pray like him. It's not surprising. We spent a lot of time together. And I've noticed that these days, there are some mannerisms I've taken from, from Pastor Macduff. I have noticed there are some things that I notice that I do which my children do. There are some mannerisms that I do which were, which were my father's mannerisms. Now, I'm, I'm deliberately keeping it with, at the mannerisms level. But the people you spend your time with, they will begin to affect your, the way you think. They begin to affect the way you think. They begin to affect your values. So the Bible is telling us that you need to be very careful. If you are associating with people who are hot-tempered, people who, who are easily angered, watch out. You would be going that way. So it is very clear that anger is very much an emotion that we have. Just like God. The challenge is if we are willing to let the Lord cleanse us of all sinful sources of anger. 
and beginning to develop his way of expressing anger and from his values, from his values that are revealed in scripture. That's where the challenge is. So my question is, how much time do you take to know God's values in your life? Are you, are you willing to come before God in total humility and say, God, you have pointed out this thing. I'm giving it up. Unforgiveness, you're giving it up. Bitterness, I'm giving it up. Because many times we are, we are rightfully wronged. Many times we are rightfully wronged. It's just that that issue has never come to a resolution. But it poisons you and others around. Willing, are you? Do you have the willingness to stay before God and, and strip away the things he said you should strip away as it develops you to become more Christ-like? You're willing to do that? That's the question. Are you willing to develop values from the word of God? God does deal with these issues. He does liberate people from temper issues. He does liberate people from anger. And there's healing. There's a peace that God gives. Too many stories to tell. But I'm here to just tell you, God is able to do it. Amen? So my encouragement to you is that let us deal with anger. It is something that God would want us to work on. Let us work on it. Because the results thereof are nice. The fruit of having dealt away with anger, sinful anger, it's, it's really good fruit. Amen? Hallelujah. Let's stand and pray. I want us to just thank God and say, Lord, thank you for your words this morning. Thank you that you have taught us about dealing with anger. I want you to thank God and say, Lord, thank you. Whatever it is you have picked for the sermon from, from the message today, I want you to just begin thanking God and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you have spoken to my heart. And that which you have spoken to my heart, Lord, I will do. I want you to begin to pray and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you so much. Because you want me to, read, to get rid of anger. You want me to confess it. You want me to let it go. You want me to let it go of bitterness. So that, Lord, my relationships with others, oh God, will be sweet. They will not be defiled. There will be relationships that are full of love, full of consideration, full of encouragement in the name of Jesus Christ. I want you to thank God and say, Lord, thank you that what you have begun to do in my life, you are going to complete. The anger issues that I may have in my life, I know you will totally deal with them and you will finish this good work that you have begun. Pray to the Lord and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord. The things that the pride that is in me that would want me to be angry or to lash out at people help me oh God in Jesus mighty name to be able to work on them and let them go to trust you that you have what is better 
for me. I want you to pray also in Jesus' mighty name. I know I'm doing this fast, but you don't overthink it. Don't, don't second guess yourself. Just begin to pray and say, Lord, I am asking you, help me to have friends who are not easily angered or hot-tempered. I am praying, oh God, that you help me to have the kind of friends that are going to help me form my character after your values in the name of Jesus Christ. Help me to have friends who will sharpen me as I will just sharpen them in this area in the mighty name of Jesus. Friends who will be help, able to help me to point out issues I need to work on. Friends who will be able to speak a word of encouragement. People who will be able to hold me accountable. Help us, oh God, to have associations that are healthy and that are helpful in our lives just as we also be helpful in our friends' lives. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, oh God, we thank you for this message today. I thank you for each and everybody, oh God, who has listened to this message, who has heard this word, whether it's in this church or on the podcast or on the live stream. I pray, oh God, that your spirit will continue to work in our lives. Your spirit will continue to help us to see these truths in the scripture that make our lives better. We want to thank you, oh God, for your love for us. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And all God's people say, Amen and Amen. Let's take our seats. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Our prayer is that God has spoken to your heart. Be blessed in this week.